Well, I want to welcome you here today. Good to have you here. A special welcome to those of you who are joining us in Ferndale. Glad that you have uh, chosen to be a part of our service today as well. And uh, if I haven't met you before, my name is Grant. I'm one of the pastors here. I mean, you're probably the faithful ones here this morning, you know. So hopefully we know each other on a first name basis and we're going to be kind of just talking through the beginning of this year. Um, I want to start off with just a couple of announcements as we get going. First of all, you'll notice today we're doing without programs, okay? So you haven't got an outline in your hand, which means we're going old school, which means you just have to listen. This is kind of crazy, right? If you'd like to take some notes, grab a pen and piece of paper. We're doing without, and we've actually been able to, to put some pieces together of, you know, we did without coffee one week, which was kind of a cool thing, and now we're doing without programs, and uh, um, all of that is to basically accomplish something greater and uh, kind of embracing a little bit more simplicity during this time of year, and so uh, I just invite you to kind of just tune in with your ears, and we're going to walk through um, a chunk of Scripture here together. Next week, I'm starting a brand new series called Stumble. Um, I did a study break this past year, went away to Houston, Texas for a couple of days, spent some time with Gary Thomas. Uh, Gary was a member here at Christ the King Church for a while, a writer. He's written Sacred Romance, Sacred Pathways. He kind of hid. He kind of flew under the radar here at CTK. And uh, then Gary became a pastor at Second Baptist Church in Houston, which is either the first or second largest church in North America. It's huge. And Gary is what they call a writer in residence. And I went out there to spend a little time with Gary. And while I was away on that study break, I just sat there in God's presence and said, Lord, what do you want to be preached at Christ the King? And he just downloaded and dictated about a four to seven week series somewhere in there called Stumble. Because um, we all trip and fall. That's just the reality of it. And so we're going to spend some time in Scripture with some people who stumbled and fell. And how do you get back up again after you trip and fall on your face? Because we're all going to do it from time to time. That's just the reality of it. So we're going to start that next week. And I'll invite you to come back and, and join us regular service time, Saturday night at 6, Sunday morning, 8.30, 10, 11.45, and at Ferndale at 10 o'clock as well. And that's what we're going to be doing over the next little bit. Yesterday afternoon, I uh, had an opportunity to come and sit here at the church for a little while and, and was just kind of looking back over the year. I tend to do that this time of year. Um, I turned 45 on Christmas Day, which is a bit of a, you know, it's just kind of one of those deals where, according to national averages, I got 27 more years. That's it, you know? So you want to be able to finish it strong and, and just took some time to kind of look back over the last year here at Christ the King Church and... Uh, it was an interesting year. It was a tough year. It was challenging in a lot of ways, a lot of different things going on, but I just thought I was kind of reviewing in my mind some of the highlights of 2011. Christmas Eve, um, uh, we had amazing, amazing Christmas Eve services. This place was packed four different times, which we thank God for. Just under 6,000 people showed up here on Christmas Eve, heard the simple truth of the gospel. But a part of what we did was we did, uh, we did this food drive. And I just kind of threw it out there one weekend. We had the, one of the largest responses to our food bank that we have ever had in the history of our church. It took, it took a team of volunteers an entire day to load up the food, get it to the food bank, sort it, and get it ready to be able to give away. And uh, I just thought that was another, just another testimony to how unbelievably generous this church is. And I want to thank you for thinking about those who are doing without, not by choice, but because that's their reality this year. So that was definitely one of the highlights. We did without coffee one weekend during the series to provide drinking water. Um, 
And, and to me, that's just another thing that we can do. It's just a little small piece that we can do to help somebody else. Some people we will probably never meet until we get to heaven. But can you imagine being in heaven and having someone walk up to you and shake your hand and say, you have no idea how you changed my life. You did without a cup of coffee, and my family started drinking clean drinking water because of your sacrifice. And I believe we're going to meet people in heaven that are going to be um, a testimony to that. Uh, one of the other highlights for me in 2011 was the start of a ministry that we call Ecclesia. Uh, it happens on Wednesday nights. Most of you don't even know about it. Um, and it's a ministry for young adults that's being led by Pastor Brian, uh, Pastor Brian McSwan. And what happened was they kind of kicked the doors open at a place called the Majestic on the south side of the city. And college students started showing up. By the hundreds, they started showing up. There were weeks where if you don't get there early enough, you're not getting in the door because they're going to break fire code. I mean, that's the way it is. And the worship is passionate. It's loud. It's exciting because that's not the church of tomorrow, just so we're sure of this. They're the church of today. And God is doing some incredible things. We've had baptisms. We've, I mean, it's just been an incredible thing. It just kind of came out of nowhere. And it started with a group of people who just said, what if we did something on the south end of the city. And so on Wednesday nights, about nine o'clock, if the Lord prompts you to pray, that's probably what you're praying for. You're praying for a group of, uh, of college students called Ecclesia, and, and the Lord is really beginning a movement on the south part of our city, which is really um, exceptional. We kicked off community life in 2011, and all that was was to add another dimension for people to get connected. One of the great things about Christ the King is it's a really big church. One of the hardest things about Christ the King is it's a really big church, and it can be difficult to get connected here. And all community life is, is an opportunity for people to get kind of plugged in, in kind of a mid-sized group, showing up in a group of six to eight, that works for some people, showing up in a group of 50 to 200, that's easier for some other people, just different things for different folks. We kicked off community life this year, and we've watched that begin to grow and begin to get some traction, which has been exciting. Uh, in 2011, we opened the Tumaini House of Hope in Tanzania. That's been a dream for a long, long time. And uh, I got a picture of actually some of the base kids and the Tumaini kids. I'm not sure. Well, okay, there's the picture right there. Look at the expressions on those kids' faces. Just take a minute and just look at, look at that picture. Just kind of review. Um, yeah, isn't it amazing? Let me tell you some of their names. Some of their names are, are joyful there's a little boy on that picture named Joyful that I met. There's a, little, uh, there's a little girl there named Hope, which is wonderful. Jackson. I mean, I got to meet these kids. And they're, they're, they're th it was always the same thing. Please say thank you. Asante Sana to Christ the King Community Church in Bellingham. You actually built an orphanage, and these are the kids that live there, and their lives are being completely changed. Some of these kids, their parents died of AIDS, and so they're orphans, they're alone, and they, they had no hope. Until this crazy group of people from Bellingham and Ferndale showed up and said, well, maybe we should probably do something about that. So opening the House of Hope was an incredible moment. Uh, baptizing a Maasai chief, that's no small deal on the other side of the world. That's a big deal. And being able to be a part of that revival is pretty amazing. Uh, we, we had a deal here in June that was a big highlight for me. We invited Rebound of Whatcom County, which looks after kids right here in our community, and they have an incredible impact, and uh, we all, gave our church an opportunity to sponsor kids right here in Whatcom County with after-school programs and help, and, rebound, and our church provided one of the largest fundraisers that they've ever done in their history because so many of you sponsored children that particular weekend, which was an incredible highlight. 
baptisms. I could tell baptism stories from now until the end of the year. And, and one of the things we're working on, we've got to find a better way to have you guys as a church family hear some of these stories of how people's lives are being transformed and changed. Our baptism services are not just, hey, let's get somebody wet and send them back home again. I mean, we are talking major breakthroughs, chains of addiction being broken, entire families coming to Christ. That's incredibly, uh, incredibly um, wonderful and encouraging. And then there's the Christ the King blessing. Um, you know, uh, Every year, I'm always, I kind of wonder, you know, with the economy, how is people going to respond? Things are getting tighter. People are having to make harder decisions when it comes to their finances. And this year, again, we opened the door for the CTK blessing. We had almost $65,000 come in for the CTK blessing. I mean, that's just an incredible, powerful number. I got to deliver some of that blessing to one of our church families that's just hurting this year. Nobody did anything wrong. It was just a medical tragedy that fell right into the middle of their lap, something that I hope never, ever happens to any of you. And I got to walk in and just say, here's, here's some help. Well, the tears and the gratitude and the thanksgiving, incredible opportunity for us to touch people, which has been wonderful. One of my, my absolute highlights from 2011 actually happened on Christmas Eve because I had an opportunity to pray with a young man to accept Christ, which is pretty cool. His aunt wrote his name on the wall of our church when we started the, the rebuild of this particular area. Do you remember what we did one weekend? Some of us walked down hallways and we wrote the names of our unsaved family members. Well, this lady invited her nephew after we did that, what, 2005? So that's like six, seven years ago. She'd written his name on the wall of the church. She can actually go back to the place in the hallway and put her hand where his name was. And then we painted over the names and we just covenanted with God that that was going to be somebody. Well, her nephew came this Christmas Eve, gave his heart to Christ at the 5 o'clock service or 5.30, whenever it was. I lost track of them all. There were so many of them. Gave his heart to Christ afterwards, right here, standing right here, up in this corner. You know, what an amazing amazing opportunity to see somebody's life changed. And God gets all of the glory and all of the praise for everything that has been accomplished in His name. This is not about us, it's about Him, and um, that's the God that we serve. So let's stay encouraged and keep moving in the right direction. All right, I'm going to steal this message this morning from one of my heroes. Pastor Bob, Don Bob Dunlop has been a role model of mine since I was a child. I love Pastor Bob Dunlop. He pastored the church I grew up in back in Canada, and I've always tried to model myself after him because he was kind of the prototypical pastor for me. Some people say that I kind of preach like him, I cry like him, I laugh like him, and I care like him, and those are all tremendous compliments that I can only hope, or only hope I can aspire to at some level. One of my greatest hopes is that I last like him. He's 79 years old, and he still preaches up a storm. And uh, another one of my hopes is that I can someday be a husband like him. His wife, Jeannie, has an advanced form of dementia, and watching Pastor Bob just love her and walk with her is an incredible testimony. I hope I get to love like that someday. You know, he preached a message that my parents actually gave to me as a Christmas gift, and this weekend, without apology, I'm going to rip him off, because if you're going to steal from somebody, you might as well steal from the best, okay? So I'm giving all of the credit for this message today to Pastor Bob and I'd like to read to you an entire chapter of Scripture, 2 Corinthians chapter 4. 
Okay, so if you got a Bible with you, you can open it. If you got an app, you can open that, or you can just sit and listen. I'm just going to read the word over you, an entire chapter. And is what's really scary for me is I turn 45 and I find myself doing this a lot. That's scary, isn't it? What what happened? Yeah, can I borrow your glasses? That would be awesome. Okay, so let me read it to you. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry. We do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced sinful, secret, and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the Word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to every man's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the mind of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For we do not preach ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of the darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of the glory of God in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed. We are perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned, struck down but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of Jesus so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to the death for Jesus' sake so that His life may be revealed in our mortal body. So then death is at work work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. With the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you in his presence. All this is for your benefit so that the grace that's reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore, We do not lose heart. Though outwardly we're wasting away, yet inwardly we're being renewed day by day for our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. I don't know about you, but there's something about that passage that just kind of makes me want to sigh. I don't know why. I've heard a lot of sighs lately. Talked to a young man on Christmas Eve who just got engaged. He was talking about the love of his life, and then he went, he finally got what he was looking for. It was a good sigh, filled with expectancy and hope. But his sigh was the exception. I stood with another man a couple days before Christmas, who's caring for his wife and her challenges with Alzheimer's. I loved the way I got to see Eric kiss his precious wife Vicky on the forehead when he arrived. I loved how he described how they had laughed their way through life 
together. I, he just looked down on her with so much love, and then he sighed. There was a lot in that sigh. I, I got to stop by the hospital to see another one of my heroes, her her name is Jennifer, and she's there looking after her son, Malcolm. Malcolm is a warrior, and he's had a lot of challenges physically. Jennifer was there that morning in full mama bear mode. It was, it was awesome, and I had an opportunity to pray with her, and then she sighed. Talked with a lot of people on Christmas Eve. What an amazing night. They told stories of God's miracles in their lives, and, and, and then some of them w- would sigh. As they said, you know, it took a lot of faith to get to that miracle. I've talked with a lot of you about your outlook on 2012, and many of you give me a very, very spiritual answer. And then you kind (sighs) of... According to a medical journal, a sigh is a deep and especially audible single exhalation of air out of the mouth or nose that humans use to communicate emotion. It's a voiced pharyngeal fricative. Isn't that impressive? Sometimes associated with a guttural, glottal breath exuded in a low tone. It often rises from a negative emotion such as dismay, dissatisfaction, boredom, or futility. A sigh can also arise from positive emotions such as relief, particularly in response to some negative situation ending or being avoided like a gasp, a yawn, a moan. A sigh is often automatic and unintentional but it carries deep emotion with it. I read 2 Corinthians chapter 4, and here was my response the first time I read it. (sighs) Here's the problem. It's not a deep sigh passage. It's a bring it on passage. It's actually the Apostle Paul giving his people a bit of a pep talk, saying, come on, folks, it's a new start. We've got to ramp this thing up again. We're not done yet. We haven't reached the finish line. It's time for you to get yourself back in the game again. Let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go, let's go. The passage actually lists out four reasons why you should not give up in 2012. I needed to hear this last week. Now I'm just going to share the pain, okay? I heard it from Pastor D. Now I'm going to pass it on to you. Let me give you four reasons why you should not give up according to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. The first reason is this, because the ministry matters. That's why you shouldn't give up. Verse 1 says this, Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. If you've forgotten what our ministry is, let me remind you. Our ministry is to bring a message of hope to people who have absolutely no hope. I find it amazing that this passage of Scripture mentions two ways that we're to spread the message. It starts off by talking about God's people renouncing secret, shameful in sinful ways. That's not easy. It starts off by talking about God's people embracing real life transformation. It talks about doing the amazingly hard work of getting into the muck of our past and our problems and finding out the real issues and dealing with them once and for all so we don't keep repeating the same cycle of sin and confess, sin and confess, sin and confess. You know, I see my penchant to to lean towards that kind of activity, sin and confess. And you know what I do when I see that in my own life? I do this. There's nothing more powerful to reach people for Christ than when they see true spiritual transformation in us. The passage goes on and says, when you take true spiritual transformation, 
and then you do not distort the Word of God. When you link those two things up, things begin to shift and change in the spiritual landscape. The passage talks about not distorting the Word of God. Life transformation matters, and speaking the truth of God matters too. And let's face it, speaking the Word of God is not a popular thing to do and will not be a popular thing to do in 2012. I get letters every year from people who are offended by something that I said. About 92% of them actually don't have an issue with me. They have an issue with what I read out of the Word of God. That's their issue. They don't like what the Bible says about sin and sinful lifestyles and God's standard. And the temptation for us is to water it down and make it all nice. But the reality is that doesn't bring about true transformation. Our ministry of showing the power of God, or our ministry of showing the power of God in our own lives and speaking the truth of God matters. I got a letter the third week in December. Let me read it to you. Dear Grant, I don't like you for all the right reasons. You ruin my day every Saturday night. You tell me things I don't want to hear. You ask me to do things I don't want to do. You keep bringing up a book I don't want to read. You ask me to forgive people I don't want to forgive. I don't like anything you have to say, but I have a favor to ask. Please don't stop. My life is changing, and what you do matters. Signed, Brad. Brad, it's a deal, okay? It's a deal. Our ministry together matters for eternity. And if you've forgotten what it is, our ministry is to live out God's transformation and His Word. That brings hope to us and hope to the place where God has placed us. What's another reason to keep going and not lose heart? Number two, it's because the treasure matters. Verse 7 says, we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. I believe the treasure being described here is God's gift of the Holy Spirit. I've said this before, the only thing that's good in any of us is Jesus and the Holy Spirit. That's the only thing that makes a difference. We learned in the Bold series that Jesus came and lived and died and rose again, and then He left, but He didn't leave us alone. He gave us the gift of the Holy Spirit who comes to convict us of sin and then comfort us as we're transformed by God's grace. Now here's the reality. We are jars of clay, fragile, broken. And I tell you what, it's easy to get stuck there and to sigh and just like, oh, I'm so fragile. We get stuck on the wrong side of the verse. The truth is we are fragile, but we're fragile for a purpose. And the purpose is to show that this is not about us. It's about God. Christ the King is not about us. It's about Christ the King. It's true. Grant's fragile, easily broken, but through the cracks and flaws of his life, the power of God can flow. So when you read these verses, don't get stuck on the first half. Because the first half says we are hard-pressed. That's true. Don't get stuck there, because if you do, you'll sigh. I am. I'm hard-pressed. <sighs> but that's not where the verse ends. We're hard-pressed, but not crushed. 
perplexed, but not in despair. Persecuted, but not abandoned. Struck down, got knocked down, but I was not destroyed. And the reason I wasn't destroyed is because I carry around the death of Jesus in my life so that the life of Jesus can be magnified in me. Christ the King, if we get one thing right this year, let's get this right. Don't get stuck in the first half of those verses. All of us, we're going to get knocked down. But we will not be destroyed because God has placed a treasure inside of each one of us that far outweighs these light and momentary troubles. Thirdly, we need to not lose heart because the faith matters. Verse 13 says, it's written, I believe, therefore, I have spoken. Since we have the same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak. Because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us with you to himself. We learned about this truth in the Getting Ready for the End of the World series. By the way, the Mayan calendar ended yesterday. Apparently, the world was supposed to end. Again. Here we are. I guess God's Word is true once again. The Bible says that because we have the same faith in Jesus Christ, that one day we're going to be presented together. That's what the verse says. Together, we're going to stand corporately before God and be presented to our King, which means this, you need to be there. I need to be there. Let's not walk away this close to the finish line. Let's not lose our faith. Let's not let these light and momentary troubles of this world keep us from enjoying the next. The only way to do that is to keep your eye on eternity. If you focus on what's happening down here, you will sigh. But if you can look to the future and say that future is solidified and held in the hand of a God that I have a relationship, that will bring you hope. Pastor Bob put it this way. Life that is temporary melts into an eternal reality. I like that. Life that is temporary melts into an eternal reality. Here's the reality. This is all going to go away. All this is going away. There's only two things that are eternal. The Word of God and people. If you want to have an amazing year, invest in those two things. The Word of God and people. Which brings us to a final reason that we should use to not lose heart. Number four in verse 17 is because the end matters. Verse 17 says, For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen, since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Yeah, I'll be honest with you, I used to get ticked off that the Apostle Paul would dare to call what I'm going through light and momentary, because to me, it feels heavy and long-lasting. Anybody else with me on that kind of stuff? And then I remember who, he, who it is that wrote those words. The Apostle Paul talked about Jesus like I do. He got beat up. I've never been beat up. He... Uh, he, he, he talked about Jesus and he went hungry, tired, freezing, and sick. I've gotten sick before, but I'm not sure to this level. I've gone hungry before, but I could probably count the occurrences on less than 10 fingers. 
Paul kept going. He didn't lose heart because he fixed his eyes on what he could not see. He fixed his eyes on eternity and he reminded himself that this life is not about the rewards that you get here. This life is about the rewards that you're going to get there. You know, I don't know about you, but I've kind of rethought this last section of my life. Like I said before, according to national averages, i got about 27 years left to go. Average American male, 72 years, you're done. Isn't that hopeful? Yeah, right? <laughs> and I used to think I'd kind of like to get to about 60, 65, somewhere in there, and then I'd like to retire, and I'd like to kind of, you know, get a little trailer in Arizona and go play golf. I've totally rethought that. Totally rethought that. I don't want to run across the finish line. I want to stagger across it. I want my sword to be dinged up and messed up. I want my shield to look like it's been through a war. I want to fall across the finish line of eternity into the arms of my Savior completely spent for the sake of the gospel. I want with my last breath to hear His words. Well done. I want to know that I poured myself out like Jesus poured Himself out. I want to collapse and then and only then will I believe I deserve to do this. <sighs> a friend of mine sent me a prayer some years ago. It says this, when it's all said and done and I'm standing before God, I want to stand there bloodied and exhausted and worn out from the fight. I want to place at Christ's feet a notched but still razor sharp sword, a battered shield with a heraldic emblem faded and dull, a breastplate with deep scratch marks where the enemy's darts marred it when my shield of faith dropped low. A helmet of salvation marked by the turning blow from the mace of doubt. Boots of the gospel resold many times. And lastly, a belt of truth that's as strong as it was on the day I received it. All to be turned in for a shining crown of gold, robes of white, and a new name that is shared only with my King. 2 Corinthians 4 does not say, Oh, you poor, fragile jars of clay. It says, Don't you dare lose heart. The best is still to come. Fix your eyes on what you can't even see yet. Ask for your miracle again. Be faithful in your words. Don't you dare distort what this sword says. Embrace it. Hold on to it. Give it away. And then you'll get to the end of 2012. And if we're not home yet, we'll suck it up one more time. 
and keep doing exactly what God has asked us to do in our shared ministry. Would you pray with me? Father God, thank you for a new day. And Lord, we'll just take a moment right now and we will just quietly in our hearts and souls dedicate it to you. Father, we give you our conversations, our hopes, and our dreams. We give you our fragile existence. And we ask this year that you would pour through the cracks of our lives and truly make a difference. We do not lose hope or heart because we have you. And it is in your good name that we dedicate ourselves to you in 2012. And the people of God, Christ the King, agreed together and said, Amen. Amen.